0: Sir Barristan of House Selmy, firstborn son of Sir Lionel Selmy of Harvest Hall, served as squire to Sir Manfred Swan, named the Bold in his tenth year when he donned borrowed armor to appear as a mystery knight in the Tourney of Blackhaven, where he was defeated and unmasked by Duncan, Prince of Dragonflies knighted in his 16th year by King Aegon V Targaryen after performing great feats of prowess as a mystery knight in the winter tourney at King's Landing, defeating Prince Duncan the Small and Sir Duncan the Tall, Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, slew Malus the Monstrous, last of the Blackfyre Pretenders in single combat during the War of the Ninepenny Kings, defeated Lormel Longlance and Cedric Storm, the Bastard of Bronzegate, named the Kingsguard in his 23rd year by Lord Commander Sir Gerald Hightower, defended the passage against all challengers in the tourney of the Silverbridge, victor in the melee at Maidenpool, brought King Aerys II to safety during the defiance of Duskendale despite an arrow wound in the chest, avenged the murder of his sworn brother, Sir Gwane Gaunt, rescued Lady Jane Swan and her septa from the Kingswood Brotherhood, defeating Simon Toyne and the Smiling Knight, slaying the former in the old town tourney defeated and unmasked the mystery knight blackfield revealing him to be bastard of uplands sole champion of lord stephen's tourney at storm's end whereat he unhorsed lord robert baratheon prince oberyn martell lord leighton hightower lord john connington lord jason malister and prince rhaegar targaryen Wounded by arrow, spear, and sword at the Battle of the Trident whilst fighting beside his sworn brothers and Rhaegar, Prince of Dragonstone. Pardoned and named Lord Commander of the Kingsguard by King Robert Baratheon I. Served in the honor guard that brought Lady Cersei of House Lannister to King's Landing to wed Robert. Led the attack on Old Wick during Balin Greyjoy's Rebellion. Champion of the tourney at King's Landing in his 57th gear. Dismissed by King Joffrey Baratheon I in his 61st year for reasons of advanced age.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome back to Girls Gone Canon. I'm Eliana, also known as Glass Table Girl, over on the Maester Monthly Podcast, and of course on the A Song of Ice and Fire subreddit.
0: And I'm Chloe. You can find me on the internet as Lies and Arbor on Twitter and Tumblr. And this is our first Barristan episode. Yeah,
1: I farewell Ned. Hello Barristan.
0: I think that was effective. That open. I feel like I'm kind of feeling really low. Like I don't do much with my life.
1: I think this is like the this is a very impressive resume um, that you
0: yeah. read aloud to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. So. The worst part of that is you get to age 23 and you're like reading that and you're like, "Oh my god, I'm only at age 23."
1: I mean, I can get into a few more bar fights, I guess. I can get into like any bar fights, I suppose.
0: <laughs> I was going to say I'm like I don't think you have even anyways. <laughs> no. God, it's our it's our first Barrison episode. This is our intro to Barry episode. What what are we going to do with Barry, man? What are we going to do with him?
1: Uh, We've got a lot well,
0: to go through here. Yeah.
1: Well, what we're going to do with Barry is we're going to start out with this intro episode here, right now. And we're going to have, like, four main episodes in total before we move on to our next POV. And so this week what we're doing is we're just, like, doing our due diligence, setting everything up, because, like, as everyone here knows... Since this is a reread, and presumably you've read these books before, in the first four books, we don't have any Barristan POVs, so we're just going to set the stage for what comes before those actual Barristan chapters.
0: Yeah, it's it's a world-building episode. It's a Girls Gone Canon world-building episode we're doing.
1: Yeah, Exactly. I don't do that very often. So so this is interesting. You know, we're not every POV is going to be like this, but obviously some of them will will. Um, and Barriston obviously we don't get his POV until much later in the series. So I think this is a good way to wade into those waters.
0: Yeah. Uh next week we're gonna be going over the Queen's Guard and the Discarded Knight. And the following week, we'll have an episode for Kingbreaker Breaker and Queen's Hand. And then after that, we're going to do a Barristan outro episode. Uh, and we're actually going to have a special guest for that. So that'll be fun. It'll be our first guest. I hope the pressure's not on. I think they'll do fine. We'll see. They're
1: going to be fine.
0: It's going to be fine. They're going to be fine. It's fine. They're a diversity pick. <laughs> We've been getting... Let's just get into this housekeeping, right? Uh-huh. We've been getting... A bunch of questions about how far we're going to go into Barry's chapters. Uh, we do have plans to record a bonus episode eventually covering Barriston 1 and Barriston 2 in Tiwau, though that release date's a little up in the air at the moment. Uh, we plan on doing that as bonus episodes for Patreon subscribers first, but we're kind of settling on that date for that to go live still, so stay tuned for that information. And plus, Eliana has to read it for the first time.
1: Yeah, I. I haven't read all of the Wins chapters because for a while I was kind of just waiting in that. I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to just read them in Wins.
0: Oh, you sweet summer child. I
1: know. <laughs> I was saving myself.
0: Um, I When he released the Elaine chapter is when I broke, to be honest. So yeah. I can't really fault you. I, I was like, fine. You know what? The show's garbage right now after that episode and nothing's going to get much better from here. So... I'm just gonna read it. I'm just gonna read it, and then I read them all.
1: I I've read Mercy. I've read Elaine. I was there for the release and the reading of the Forsaken because
0: never heard of it.
1: I'm gonna boast about this like constantly because <laughs> I deserve it. <laughs> um, and um, I've read Theon one and. It's a really good chapter, and
0: oh, they're all really good. Even the Barristan (laughs) ones. I was like, are they? I
1: don't know. Um,
0: I haven't read them. I haven't read them more than once yet. The Barristan ones, because I was like, all right, that's enough. I'll just read it again in T. Wow, but now I have to read them again. So yeah,
1: I have like (laughs) inklings. I don't know. I have some ideas of some things that happen in them, just because, of course, our friends and like other. Yeah. Aswa folk uh, talk about it and cite it in their essays or in their casts and stuff. So, so I have a I have an idea of what happens. I just haven't actually experienced it or read it.
0: I understand. You will. Yeah, you will. I think it'll be really good to read it after we've done all this and talked about these chapters and talked about this history. And I just think it'll be really good. It'll be very fulfilling when you read it. It'll be like your first read of them will be like, whoa, that was a worthwhile read. So just because we're doing this right now.
1: Yeah. And I think it's going to be really fun doing it as part of this project because like, we'll have, what, two perspectives, right? For you, you'll have already read them before. So you're looking at them with a little more of a uh, scrutinizing eye.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Whereas
1: like, I'm coming at this with fresh eyes which i think will be interesting
0: i'm very interested to hear what you have to think about it especially after we go through this because i feel like this is like we we just like psychologically get down like ned was a lot i can't believe we're doing barriston next like we're crazy this is a lot emotionally you know to think on sure but but
1: what's nice is that i think there's a lot that goes on emotionally of course and like there's a lot of action in Barrison's chapters, but it's very short in terms of the actual chapters that we have.
0: Yeah, it's not as it's not going to be 15 episodes of depression or 10, whatever, 15 chapters of depression. It's not going to be that. It's just going to be like five.
1: <laughs> Funny when you think about it, right? Because like... Very few other characters have as small an amount of chapters as Barristan, yet in some ways Barristan's story is the longest.
0: Yeah, the biggest, well, yeah, because he's old. He's really, exactly. he's like, if you cut the tree, there'd be a million rings in there.
1: Yeah, there's not a million.
0: There's like seven million rings. (laughs) Grandpa. Yeah. We're still working on our uh, catchphrase for Barristan, guys. Don't worry, we'll figure not, it out. We're
1: not there yet. Yeah, I'm sorry, everyone.
0: <laughs> um, it'll we're gonna get there. It'll establish itself as we, we go. I'm sure. We
1: can't. We can't. The phrases have to find us. Like I feel like, get a job found you. You know. Yeah.
0: No, get a job chose me when I was younger. It was yeah. like the three eyed raven, and I just like opened my eye.
1: Oh, I was thinking it was like corn. The houses in Harry Potter, but I guess you kind of choose them. I don't fucking know. What else? Anyways. We're waiting for them. Oh, it's like your Patronus, you know? Yeah. It finds you. Finds me. Yeah. There you go. So, we're still waiting for the soul of the Barristan chapters.
0: It'll come to us. <laughs> Brevity. Yeah.
1: But, you know, since this is a lore-based episode, right, this is uh, that backstory, instead of doing our usual lightning round of what we've missed, we're going to do a lightning round, really more of, like, a straight-up thunderstorm Kind of round of what you've missed of Barristan's history, all that history, all those seven million rings that Chloe was talking about.
0: <laughs> We're just gonna touch in the top of them. So, not stop touching Grandpa's rings. Grandpa was born a long time ago in two thirty six or two thirty seven AC. Is the calculation, which of course George always says, like put away your ruler okay like just enjoy the story like don't worry about that but we're obsessive we can't do that so we're gonna do it anyway sorry george he starting in about Aegon the fifth's reign is kind of what we're gonna start talking about right now in the story barristan is about in his mid 60s in rebellion era he was about mid 40s and he was knighted in the kingsguard 23 but his career began way before then um he was born to Lionel Selmy, a knight of Harvest Hall. And the Selmies, it's really interesting. It's something that George must have changed in the long run, or maybe it changed when hands change, such as like uh, kingship or just grants and lands getting given out. But the Selmy's were originally written as landed knights in 2005 by George. There was an interview from the Citadel from a Sospake Martin that said, is there a Lord Selmy or are they just landed knights? And he said they were landed knights and wouldn't go into detail. But there are a few differences Uh, for those that aren't quite as keen into it. Landed knights don't get the right of pit and gallows, for instance. They have to look to their liege lord to carry out justice. Other landed knights in the series that you might hear of would be like Sir Gregor Clegane of Clegane's Keep, Sir Simon Santigar, the Knight of Spotswood, Sir Simon Templeton, the Knight of Nine Stars, just to name a few. Landed knights have a ton of pros and cons of many things against their lords, but their status is going to be reflected in their styling, like Sir Simon Templeton, the knight of nine stars. Landed knights don't quite have the prestige of lords, and they would be outranked at tourneys and feasts, and some tourneys, especially in the south, might decide not allowing landed knights to compete, etc. George has said before that a master in the north would be about equal to a landed knight in the south as far as power goes. While originally landed knights in the canon, George has actually listed Arstan Selmy, the newer head of house in the Dance of Dragons appendix, as a lord, which would make House Selmy a marcher lord. And, of course, they're sworn to House Baratheon, and Selmy, Swan, Dondarrion, and Karen are all marcher lords of the Stormlands sworn to defend against the Dornish's attacks in history.
1: So, going back to... How Barrison is a long story, and starting with his, like, first internship, he squired for Lord Manfred, Manfred, Swan in his youth, uh, when he first, you know, they didn't have resumes back then, so what he did was he, he was just on the job, you know, he started out as his mystery knight, uh, at this tourney in Blackhaven at around 247 AC, so that puts him at around, like, age 10. Everyone was like, what the hell? There's like this little kid here. But Prince Duncan Targaryen, uh Duncan the Small, the Prince of the Dargan Flies, um, took pity on him, and while others may have laughed, Prince Duncan, precious precious boy, jousted with Barristan when no one else would. Then, after a while, um, in about like a few years, not that much Later in the early 250s, Barristan goes on to actually unhorse Sir Duncan the Tall, whom, as everyone knows, he's in fact very tall and very swole. And then the other Duncan, too. He's just like racking up all of his Duncans. He also unhorses Prince Duncan, an attorney in King's Landing. Because of how well Barristan performed, uh, he it's an early promotion. He's knighted at 16, which is about in the early 250s, by Aegon the Fifth Targaryen, which is pretty cool. Yeah, you know, like after he had horses both dunks. Duncan, slam dunks. Oh what my god. What is it? Oh, whatever. Anyways. Um, oh my god. Then he has his first job, his first real job where he goes into the War of the Nine Penny Kings. Um, And he does, he performs exceptionally well, you know. He's not Yeah, so in around 260 AC, so that puts him in, you know, about his like 20s, um, late teens. uh, Barristan participates in the War of the Nine Penny Kings, and he slays and the first Blackfire in single combat, which effectively ends the male Blackfire line and cuts a path through the Golden Company to reach Melees. Incredibly impressive. Like, the Golden Company is a very formidable force. And, of course, we're going to see more of them in the winds, presumably. Bearson also becomes, of course, very famed after this war. And that's the ri- that's how he starts becoming this hero... Um, how his stories start in Westeros—it's his start to becoming a household name.
0: And that was just King Number One. <laughs> That's true. This is horrible. I feel like I've done nothing with my life. Uh, <laughs> I haven't even slayed any fires.
1: Oh, Chloe, you slay every day.
0: Ah, thanks, Boo. And who's next? Jaehaerys the Second's <laughs> reign. Barristan was named to the Kingsguard at 23 years old. This is 259-260 AC. He swears his vows before Gerald Hightower and Jaehaerys II bestowed the white cloak upon him. He gave up his claim as firstborn son to Harvest Hall and the girl he was supposed to marry was wed to his cousin. And its I think it's so interesting. There's a lot of Jamie parallels in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamie and Barristan have so much more in common than either would ever admit. And we'll talk more about some of the knights named of the Kingsguard in this era a bit later. Among some of the youngest knights named of the Kingsguard are Sir Roland Darklyn, who only survived a few days on the job, and Jamie Lannister. And Barristan isn't really even considered that young at 23 when he joined.
1: And he's deaf-not young now.
0: Deaf-not. He is old.
1: <sighs> you know who's not that old when they die? Jaehaerys. Who dies in 262 AC. That was my segue. Um... Around the ages of 34, 37, after a short illness.
0: Yeah, like a three-year-long illness.
1: Which I think it's touching, you know, that Barristan thought that Jaharis was very strong, even though many people saw Jaharis as weak. Jaehaerys was, like, a pretty good king, especially compared to, like, Ares. Like, he brought stability to the realm, he ended the Blackfires... With help from Barristan, he reconciled many of the great houses who had become unhappy with the way that Aegon V was running things. King Jaehaerys is the one who has that really great line that he tells Barristan that we're going to hear later on also, um, that King Jaehaerys once told me that madness and greatness were two sides of the same coin. Every time a new Targaryen is born... He said, The god toss the coin in the air, and the world holds its breath to see how it will land. In this he is knowledge that he imparts upon Daenerys. And he talks about Jaharis and people in Danny's family pretty often when he's counseling Danny.
0: Ares the second's reign, one of the uh, oh, this is where it gets good, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so juicy. So juicy. Barristan continues to serve Ares II after Jaehaerys II's death. And, of course, the famed defiance of Duskendale comes along. In 277 AC, Ares is captured by House Darkland for half a year. Taxes they didn't want to pay, yada yada. Also, his wife was kind of cray, you know? Uh, Lord Tywin was handed the king and planned to storm Duskendale himself, but Barry wanted the opportunity to retrieve his liege himself. Tywin gave him one day to get the job done. So Barristan did what anyone would do, and he disguised himself as a hooded beggar and climbed the walls in the dead of night. He slayed sentries and scaled castle walls before anyone could alert others. He slew two guards and avenged his brother of the king's guards, Sir Gwen Gaunt, by killing Sir Simon Hollard. He saves Ares, escaping horseback through the Dunford gates and taking an arrow to the chest while leaving. After the Defiance, Ares and Tywin kill pretty much everyone involved, but Barry begs for one life, which is Dantos Hallard.
1: Everyone like remember this moment, alright? We're gonna come back to this, obviously, in future episodes.
0: Yeah, not even just Embariston.
1: Yeah, that's true. But Especially. very much also embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. And then we have the Kingswood Brotherhood, which is another infamous outlaw organization, but this time during Ares' reign. They kidnapped nobles and evaded capture. Uh, Lord Commander Sir Gerald Hightower was injured earlier on by the Brotherhood when they had attacked Princess Elia Martell's escort through the woods. And how dare they? How right? dare they do that?
0: The that princess. woman deserved
1: so much better. She, <laughs> she deserved a lot.
0: Everything.
1: I know. Uh, Ares then sent soldiers with the King's Guard to finish them. Like Sumner Craycall and his squires, Jamie Lannister and Merritt Frey. Yes, indeed, that Merritt Frey. Uh, and that detachment was led by Arthur Dayton.
0: It's all-star cast. Oh my god. It really
1: is, actually.
0: Which is great on George's part, because... That's to remind us, like, these are people we know.
1: Yeah, there's a whole history to this world. The world-building episode, if you will. Yeah. The Brotherhood was shielded by small folk, though, of the Kingswood, which prevented these forces um, from finding the outlaws. Arthur Dane, though, gained the smallfolk's confidence and then petitioned the king for the smallfolk's rights and made sure that the royal forces were paying them for anything that they took from them.
0: And of course, the smallfolk changed allegiance to the royal side and the outlaws no longer were able to roam free in the forest. JB Lannister, Arthur Dane, and Sir Barristan Selmy have this big showdown against the outlaws, including the Smiling Knight and their leader, Simon Toyne. Barriston rescued Lady Jane Swan and her septa, as we knew from before, and killed Simon Toyn in single combat. While Arthur actually kills the Smiling Knight, as we know. Wenda the White Fawn, Oswin Longneck, the Thrice Hanged, Big Belly Ben, Fletcher Dick, and Ulmer were some of the other members. Ulmer ends up joining the Knights Watch to avoid being executed, but the rest of the Brotherhood is presumed dead. Despite, of course, some wild Wenda the White Fawn theories like Wenda as Septa L'Amour, if you haven't heard that one. It's an interesting read. Check it out.
1: Next we have the tourney at Storm's End. So sometime prior to Robert's Rebellion, Beersten defeated Rhaegar in a final joust at Storm's End, winning the tourney. So we know that he can do it. All right. He's done it once before. And then we have this, like, conflation, this confabulation between Simon Toyne and Storm's End. In Barristan's White Sword entry, in his resume, (laughs) nobody checked this, I guess. Because there seems to be some sort of mix-up of dates uh, that was pointed out to George. And as So Spake Martin from the Citadel on Westeros.org, dated 2001, George talks about how he really is just chalking that up to Barrison being an old man and forgetting how things actually go.
0: Which, in a way, it makes you wonder if he's really, truly an unreliable narrator. Which I would say, yeah, a lot of times he is, considering his other either unreliable narrations or his severe, honorific point of view that kind of clouds what he tells people. Like, I grew up Roman Catholic, I'm recovering now, and... Barristan reminds me of like the people I grew up with that they think the Bible and the teachings are code and they only adhere to that code and stand by while wrong was being done. I think that's very kind of a similar thing to what Barriston goes through with the Kingsguard that he just thinks the Kingsguard is law no matter what and he has no other options even if he thinks something dishonorable is happening.
1: Yeah, I think that's really true of Barristan especially as we get more... Exposition from Jamie and the things that he saw the King's Guard standing aside for when it came to the reign of Ares. And we're also definitely going to go into this way more uh, in Bearson's actual chapters, especially as he starts questioning himself and his own acts or lack of action. Um, and as for whether this makes him an unreliable narrator or not, eh, I do believe that Bearson is an unreliable narrator, as is every other POV, because the whole point is like we're in close third. Um, But how old was he when he was writing this, right? Because, like, I assume that sometimes they're just writing it in, like, right after. Plus, if Jamie points out in when he's reading aloud Barristan's resume that Gerald Hightower was the one who wrote some of the earlier parts before Barristan did, and I assume that Barristan would have taken over writing it because the Lord Commander writes all these things um, only after the rebellion when he becomes the Lord Commander. And assuming that Gerald Hightower was keeping up his duties, then I'm just going to throw this out there. It should be an oversight on the part of Gerald Hightower and not Barristan.
0: That's very true. And he was like probably 61, 62 when he added all of the last bits in
1: honestly that's not that old. no
0: and he's still pretty sharp i mean obviously he can fight a bajillion people as we learn so it really just goes to show like how cersei tried to pull it as which we'll get to as age you know ageism against him just to get rid of him
1: george is the unreliable narrator (laughs) okay
0: yeah he is
1: and then speaking of the rebellion Let's talk about some of the
0: the good stuff.
1: Some of the good stuff, the stuff that leads into Let's it. Let's get into it. <laughs> the tourney at Hall So as we know, Baristan was one of Ares II's Kingsguard who was present at Hall along with Gerald Hightower, Lewin Martell. I really like the name Lewin. Uh, John the Third Oswald H- Oswell Went, Oswell Went. Arthur Dane, Queen Gaunt. And of course, Jamie Lannister, who was Harlan Grandison's replacement after dying in his sleep. Do you remember House Grandison? Apparently we touched on them, and they bent their knee to Robert during the Rebellion.
0: Jamie was sent back to the Red Keep during the tourney, not only unable to participate, but also after House Lannister is pretty much publicly shamed by the Kingsguard taking their heir, Something Barristan actually has a bit in common with, although the nature doesn't seem to be the same. Barristan sees the King's Guard as the highest honor, and the king is almost as his own god, never questioning why God does what he does, but obeying and keeping him safe. There are differences in what they see as honorific, Jamie saving the city by slaying the king, and Barristan's marriage to his duty in saving the king, even when it seems like the wrong thing to do is ten shades of different, considering their internal struggles and some of their commonalities.
1: Yeah, I think it's really great how we start getting those more of those (laughs) knights like POVs in the later books, and you can see this like dialogue happening between all of them. Of course, another thing that we know and learn about the tourney at Harrenhal is that Bearston was really digging Ashara Dane, And he, in fact, wanted to name her Queen of Love and Beauty, had he won the tourney. But Rhaegar unhorsed him. Probably getting him back for that tourney at Storm's End. And it's possible that Barristan is the white sword that Ashara danced with in that Night of the Laughing Tree story that we hear in A Storm of Swords from Jojen, Mira. But, I mean, it's also possible that it was her brother, Arthur Dane, because, like, what, I guess Ashar didn't have another date to prom.
0: Right, it could have really been any of them. I mean, like, they were all there. So, <laughs> but true. it's more likely it was one of them. He wonders if the war could have been avoided if he had only the chance to crown her instead of Rhaegar crowning Lyanna of House Stark, along with him thinking that had he crowned her, she may have turned to him in her dime of need instead of Stark. Barristan thinks of this as one of his many failures. And <clears throat> we're going to get into this. I'm, I'm staying very calm right now. We're going to get into all of this a lot deeper as we actually hit this chapter and hit this passage. Because there's a lot of imagery and different kind of exposition to talk about around the scenario. Especially with what's going on with Daenerys at the time. But Barristan was a grown-ass 45-year-old man. At the Like, at this point in the story, like, this is where we are in his timeline. At the tourney at Hall, he was a grown-ass man, and Ashara was, at the oldest, 18 years old.
1: Leave that girl alone.
0: Yeah, leave her alone. You should get a job, Barriston. Jesus. Barriston and sell me. Well, that's the thing. He's like,
1: he's like, I got a really good job. You know? He's like, of course. But I, like, I can't no. have a chick.
0: So, be gone. But, yeah, we
1: don't actually care about, like, your car. We don't care about your car, dude. Sorry.
0: Like, I, I, yes, there's. it's okay to have age gaps in Westeros. I get it. But 45 to 18, and to him, like, be like, oh, that little girl, I could have saved her. I was so in love with her. It's just gross. We'll get to it eventually. We'll get deeper into it.
1: Yeah, she didn't need to be saved.
0: Okay. Yeah, and even if she did, like, that's just not... She wasn't a thing to save. Like, she wasn't for your honor. She's a person. Get over yourself. Like, you're the one that chose to be in the King's Guard, dude. Like, you chose this. She wasn't even alive when you chose this, dude. Like, let's just put yeah. that into perspective for a second. Stop. Ugh. Anyways. I'm done.
1: Now on to Robert's Rebellion. I swore no oath to Dorne, Sir Barrison told himself. But Lewin and Martell had been his sworn brother back in the days when the bonds between the Kingsguard still went deep. I could not help Prince Lewin on the trident, but I can help his nephew now. The discarded knight, a dance with dragons.
0: When we get down to the core of it, Barristan is another traumatized man-baby of a song of ice and fire, born out of all of this war. Barristan's standout moments in Robert's Rebellion are... Big but few. He and Jonathan Derry's attempt to rally the remains of John Connington's army after breaking at the Battle of the Bells. He fought in Battle of the Trident, but he was severely wounded, as we mentioned above. Bruce Bolton thought Robert should actually slit Barristan's throat and just be done with it, but Robert commanded his maester to heal Barry instead himself, and ended up eventually offering him a pardon and position of Lord Commander on the King's Guard for fighting with his heart but being smart enough to know when to kneel. His wounds were so bad that he wasn't present in the throne room when the bodies of Rhaenys and Aegon were shown to Robert, and this is what puts Ned and Barry on such an interesting level of honor and justice together, is that Barristan thinks, If I had seen him smile over the red ruins of Rhaegar's children, no army on this earth could have stopped me. From killing him. About Robert. Ned and Barristan both are standing by while they knew they could have done better.
1: And we see in Ned's chapters that we've gone through. That Ned actually holds Barriston in a very high esteem. He sees Barristan as another man of honor like himself. And so this creates a sort of intersection between Barristan and Ned. Because... As Ned cares about the life of the children and is pleading for Danny's life and the lives of children in general. Wink, 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 wink. Berstin has these same sorts of inclinations. Even though he feels that he can't do anything to stop Ares from destroying the rest of House Hollard, he steps up once to ask for a favor, to ask to spare the life of Sir Dantos because of, and to ask to save save the life of Ser Dantos in exchange for the heroism that he showed saving Ares. Save the children. Barristan, though, doesn't actually approve of Robert keeping Jaime in the King's Guard after Jaime slew Ares during the sack of King's Landing.
0: And of course, that lands us at Robert Baratheon's reign
1: now well not quite now yet first we have a few other things like uh, the Greyjoy Rebellion where Bearson led the attack on Old Wyke during the rebellion Bearson also won a championship in another tourney in the early 290s in King's Landing which what occurred during the rebellion like didn't they have like a war to fight I don't know and right before the events of the story, there was actually another tourney in the early 290s in King's Landing, um, and we're going to get to some recent events soon, but one more tourney, one more tourney, uh, where Barristan unhorses Sandra Clegane in Joffrey's name date tourney in 297 that you'll probably remember and will go over again soon in the fall.
0: And then we finally make it to a Game of Thrones. Our first taste of Barristan Selmy paints him kind of as a legend. When we hear his name in the story, it's not when we meet him, but through Bran, thinking about his heroes. To him, and to many in the series, Barristan is the greatest living knight, and we slowly learn more and more about him.
1: When we actually first get to see Barristan Selmy in the flesh, uh, it's when he's meeting King Robert Baratheon and Lord Eddard Stark and their party alongside... Friendly Baratheon and Payne as an honor guard to help guide them and bring them to keep back to King's Landing.
0: So where we have scenes reminding us of Barristan being a part of, like, the honor guard to bring Cersei to King's Landing, we actually are having eventual history being unwrapped in front of our eyes right here.
1: And that history comes through with a reputation. The first time... Again, that we actually see Barristan in the flashes through Sansa's eyes. She identifies him and calls him by that moniker that we've learned through those earlier brand chapters of Barristan the Bold. And it's only through her point of view that we actually learn that this hero that we've heard about is much older, she calls him, an old man. And I think it's apt that for a man surrounded by so much legend, we meet him through the two children who love these songs and stories so well.
0: And that theme absolutely transcends into this. Since we know we're reading the story that will be written someday, who's to say that Barristan escorting Ned Stark and the king doesn't someday actually turn into met and escorted the Princess Sansa or Queen Sansa of House Stark to King's Landing in 297 AC. I mean, this could this could be a story in the making. That's what I love about these. It's just stories writing stories.
1: Absolutely. Barristan's job, though, in King's Landing is pretty much... Accompanying King Robert to places. In the Hands Tourney, Jamie Lannister finally defeats him after three tilts, while Bersten defeated men 30 and 40 years younger than he is in the first two. Bersten is also the first to stand vigil over Sir Hugh of the Vale when the young squire dies.
0: Not only is he first, he's only. I think there's a lot to unravel here. I think Barristan saw a boy with no family around or able to come be with him who died alone and in a gruesome manner. He saw a boy, a young knight, much like himself at one point, dead at the hands of foolish games after seeing his own friends and young knights die on the trident. There's a chapter where Missandei remarks that Barry never sleeps that we'll get to hear later on, and he remarks internally about the trident and how he hasn't really slept ever since then. Ned and Barristan were traumatized by different things in the Rebellion, but all came to the death of kids. Ned was present for the reveal of the dead royal children, and he wasn't at the Trident, while Barry was at the Trident, but missed the reveal of the dead children.
1: I'm just going to remark that I think this just shows how bad the battle at the Trident was, and Robert's Rebellion was, because Barristan was already a veteran. He had fought in wars before, but this one really traumatized him.
0: Absolutely. Like, he was in the War of the Nine Penny Kings, and that wasn't at all like this. This was, I mean, he saw his friends die. He remarks later about Lewin Martell dying and remembering it and how he couldn't stop it.
1: Yeah. Barristan and Ned, along with their trauma, uh also seem to agree on quite a few things in their last few moments and times together at King's Landing, such as how Robert should not participate in the melee, or how let's not kill the little girl across the sea. That sounds like a bad idea. Beriston, as Robert's escort, is actually present for Robert's tragic boar hunt, where he cannot protect his king Against himself.
0: When does it end, right? Over and over. (laughs) Poor Barristan. And of course, that brings us to the end of his reign as Lord Commander and to King Joffrey's reign. Barristan is dismissed from the Kingsguard due to old age, and various whispers help cement that. We all know it's bullshit because he just competed in the hands tourney like a month ago, and he was a complete badass in it. It's implied by Cersei and by Joffrey that he let Robert die. It was to give Sandor a cloak and instill Jaime as new Lord Commander, which brings up a huge point of how everything Robert did was either a huge break in tradition or allowed for a future break in tradition, like this unprecedented move from Cersei.
1: It's also a double diss to Barristan because he might know that this is why he was dismissed. Like, as we said earlier, Barristan thinks that it's completely disgraceful that Jaime was kept on board as part of the Kingsguard. And for, like, Barristan to have been dismissed when Jaime, who, like, actually killed his king, was not. And for him to be dismissed so that that guy who, like, killed his king can rise to Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, like, that's just rude.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's like robbing a bank and being the manager the next day. It's messed up. Yeah. Barristan doesn't actually appear for almost the entirety of Clash of Kings, which heightens the mystery of where he goes after being dismissed. In A Clash of Kings, while it builds on the legend of Barristan established in the first book... It also establishes Barristan's importance as a political symbol. We hear from people like Tywin and Tyrion about how letting Barristan go was a stupid move because of what he means to the people.
1: And of course, Varys recognizes Barristan's worth as a political symbol because this is like Varys' specialty. He weaves these political stories and narratives. For more on how Varys does this, I would highly recommend checking out something like a lawyer's essay, The Spider and the Dragon, I believe it's called, Over on the Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog. It's my favorite essay by him, to be honest. Um, and it also, this act of varies being the one to suggest, like, oh, maybe you should dismiss Barristan. Oh, further connects uh, varies with Illyrio, because, I mean, where do we see Barristan next? Which is established in that underground discussion in a game of thrones
0: and of course Barristan knew well what he didn't ignore that Varys was whispering in Ares's ear and sowing discontentment at court too which makes where he lands very interesting indeed eventually in the last Danny chapter we meet an old squire named Arstan which coincidentally is the name of the family member who took Barristan's place at the helm of House Selmy This works temporally in terms of the story since Barristan actually has to travel from Westeros across Essos, but it also works narratively again, building up the mystery, then bringing him in, leaving time between books for fans to figure out the secret identity. So many things hinted his real identity, especially his entrance. From far away, he saves Daenerys from the sorrowful man. Danny is the one who must clear his name.
1: But Barristan's entrance is overshadowed by the actual main hero of the story. Barristan is playing Squire to the prince that was promised to Azora High Reborn, Strong Belwis. So this is actually a podcast now about Strong Belwis. Strong Belwis is such an important character. Like We've just really established how important he is because you can see that he lets every opponent cut him once. Before he kills them, um, he also carries in the rock, so you know shows you a little world building and tells you like that he is a warrior. He was once a slave and has a reputation as a, as a very renowned pit fighter. And he's the one who who gifts Berestin, aka Arston, with his new nickname, Whitebeard. There's so much power in Strong Bellus's story. And we're going to go into this in depth a little later in this Strong Bellwiz podcast.
0: Are you good? You got it out of your system. Um, I really did it.
1: And you know that I didn't. <laughs> Can we do a Strong Bellwiz episode? Do the people need it? The people both need it and want it.
0: The okay, people well, deserve it. It's a I Patreon it. tier. It's a Patreon tier. <laughs> And by Patreon tier I mean it's giving me Patreon tiers right now. Yeah. Um
1: I'm the one who's probably gonna have to pay for us
0: to get there. <laughs> I'm like, who bought ten fifty dollar tiers? <laughs> it was me. <laughs> like sped bar- Oh my god. I'm- it was
1: me, Arson Whitebeard. <laughs> <sighs> so A Storm of Swords is uh, where Bariston's story starts to really change, right? Like in a Game of Thrones, Bariston was something of like a background character. He's just kind of like a glorified houseplant. And Storm of Swords is where he starts to come to the forefront as a really active character.
0: A glorified houseplant.
1: <laughs> I was like, I-, I was hoping I was gonna come up with like a better metaphor of like, and Storm is where he blooms or becomes like, I don't know. Poison
0: Ivy, but not poison ivy. Yeah. I was hoping we gotta it. work on it. You thought the magic would happen. Yeah, I
1: did, but glorified houseplant is pretty good on it.
0: So. No, that's pretty good. Yeah. I like that one. I'm gonna call people that. Yeah. In Robert's council, Barristan may have advised the king and lectured against sending assassins against Daenerys, in line with his whole save the children thing, but his counsel was often ignored, except by Ned. The council probably saw Barristan as like a dumb jock.
1: Which is kind of funny because, like, I mean, that's kind of... I was going to say that is what Robert is, and that's probably why no one listened to him and just was like, whatever, we'll just appease him.
0: Yeah. I guess contrast that, too, with how Danny seeks Barrison's counsel in A Storm of Swords. While she might think he's only a squire, that he's from Westeros and has knowledge of the Seven Kingdoms, and Rhaegar puts him in her high esteem. She doesn't always listen to his counsel, but she does respect it and she does weigh it.
1: And sometimes, of course, like Beerson, a.k.a. Arson, in this moment, can be like a little paternalistic and he stays that way, actually. It's clear that he doesn't actually get Danny. Like, he doesn't really understand her and get her as a person. And we're going to go into this much more when we get to his dance chapters he probably just like doesn't get girls in general.
0: Um, He's problematic. He
1: is. I do. Lo- I do like. Anyways, what he ends up doing is he interrupts Danny's sale of Drogon uh, for the Insulli, that exchange, and he speaks out against her, which makes her seem less powerful. Like, why is your squire just like out here questioning you? So of course she chastises him, which in my opinion is very reminiscent of a scene from Elizabeth Taylor's performance as Cleopatra. It's a 4-hour movie, but
0: oh yeah. Worth it. Worth the watch yeah. just for this, for this comparison. He is kind of the promise of home for Danny in a way, but not for Jora. He represents a certain familiarity for Danny. The closest she's been to the red door is this man who served three generations of her family. And would have kept serving more if he could. So much so that he sought her out to be her queen's guard. This man can tell me what I came from.
1: I like that she says what, not where. You know, like because this is Berestan explaining that madness thing. Sir Jora then calls and names Barristan in Danny Five in a Storm of Swords. I'm gonna be real. If I had to pick between Sir Jora and Sir Berestan. I would definitely pick Barristan. But also, here's like a thought. You know, we we end up sort of pitting the two against each other. Like, oh, they're so different. But with what we learn about Barristan and his feelings for Ashara, like, what? Later? Are we supposed to actually see that there's a lot more in common between Barristan and Jorah? They're not actually that different after all.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think in a way that Barristan shields himself with his honor from actually dealing with the fact that he's not so great of a person. I think he clings to it. I think he holds it against himself like that, where Jorah has just given in to his shitty side. Like, he knows he's a piece of crap now. He knows there's no going back. But it's the same thing with him. In fact, Jorah almost has that Jaime Lannister thing going where he's like, I did everything I did for the good of people, and this is what I get.
1: Yeah. Whereas I think at least Barristan has, he has humility. Right. And we're going to. Yes. He does question internally. Sometimes he's like, did I do the wrong thing? Maybe he doesn't question the right things, but he does question them. And we're going to go into that, of course, later on.
0: And finally, we get one last clue before the big reveal. Same as how we saw those quick reflexes with the green scarab. Arstan Whitebeard defeats Miro of Bravos, which also cements Jorah's suspicions because, yes, it was suspicious that such a well-spoken, really old guy was somehow a squire.
1: But I want to assert that I don't think it was really that strange, because he was playing squire to strong Belwis, who, like, R'hllor, like, no man may withstand him, and anyone really can be a squire to Strong List, And they should count themselves blessed to be able to be a squire to Strong Bellwiss. In fact, Danny says, and what if you just stay a squire to Strong And Barrison says that it would, be, it would be totally fine with him, because why wouldn't it be? Would I...
0: <laughs> you have one more. You get one more. That's the whole podcast. Three, Three strikes Jesus. and you're out. You're fired. <laughs> Three treasons I will know,
1: three Bellwases I once, will know. Once for Bellwas, and once for Bellwas, and once for Bellwas. I I love how when Danny's like Jorah, would you please knight Arston for me? And I love how both men are like no at the same time, and Jorah's is like because he's like a fucking liar, and Baristan like because he's. A fucking liar. Like, you know. You know. And I also just love this line when George was like, who are you? And he goes like, a better knight than you, sir. Arson said coldly. And you can't see, but in my notes, I'm like, clap emojis. Because I love that. <laughs> it's
0: a big moment. It's a big moment. Yours, if you will have me. "'Sir Beriston had tears in his eyes. "'I took Robert's pardon. I, "'I served him in the King's Garden Council. "'Served with the Kingslayer and others near as bad "'who soiled the white cloak I wore. "'Nothing will excuse that. "'I might be serving in King's Landing still "'if the vile boy upon the Iron Throne "'had not cast me aside. "'It shames me to admit. "'But when he took the cloak that the white bull "'had draped around my shoulders and sent men to kill me, That self-same day, it was as though he'd ripped a call off my eyes. That was when I knew I must find my true king and die in his service. Quiet, said Danny. I'll hear him out.
1: It may be that I must die a traitor's death, Sir Barristan said. If so, I should not die alone. Before I took Robert's pardon, I fought against him on the trident. You were on the other side of that battle, Mormont. Were you not, he did not wait for an answer. Your Grace, I am sorry I misled you. It was the only way to keep the Lannisters from learning that I had joined you. You are watched as your brother was. Lord Varys reported every move Isaris made for years. Whilst I sat on the small council, I heard a hundred such reports. And since the day you went, called Drogo, there has been an informer by your side selling your secrets, trading whispers to the spider for gold and promises. So juicy!
0: God, what a good chapter, too, when she sends him off. Oh, man, when she's so mad. Oh, it's so good. Such drama. And of course, there's this great line from Danny, which is an overarching theme in the story, to which Barrison, of course, also contributes to. Are all the knights of Westeros so false as you two? He was no true knight. I love. It's so I good. Love it. Exactly. It's so like all of the knights. Ah, oh, it's just so thematically pleasing. I love how it's constructed. Danny, of course, ends this. She sends Barristan and Jorah into the sewers to win her marine. Which is only intimated, and we're not entirely sure how well anything Danny has planned for Barristan is going to go other than that.
1: But what's great is that we get this kind of reassurance, because while we're questioning the safety of Barristan, Jamie's chapters are over here on the other side of the Narrasean storm, reassuring us that Barristan's prowess is just incredible, because Jamie is like, I'm gonna open the white book, and like, the fuck... Barriston somehow had time, even though he was, like, fleeing that same day. He, like, came back, he wrote and finished his entry in LinkedIn in the White Book, which he somehow had time to do while he was fleeing King's Landing. And so that gives us kind of an inkling of what to anticipate when we finally get back to those Danny chapters.
0: Because we've only heard about his prowess at this point. We haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. It's been outlined by all these characters that have dreams, like Brand, with all these nightly dreams. So getting it from another adult finally and realizing, oh, he might be fine. And then you switch back to Barrison's story. And eventually he just starts kicking ass. Yeah.
1: And he's just got a stick, you know? He's like, whatevs.
0: Yeah. I-, I love that it's like very like, I don't know, almost karate movie too in a way. Just very the reveal. I mean, soon after though, Barriston reveals why he chose to flee to Danny's service, and though he was beginning to fill this role, he truly becomes her connection to her family and regales her with stories about Rhaegar and the tales of unsavory stories about Ares. And of course, as said before, having known so much of her family from even before then.
1: And then of course, like with Bariston being across the narrow sea, we actually don't see him at all in A Feast for Crows, which is to be expected. Instead, we get some of the groundwork for those memories that we're going to see haunt Barrison in his own dance chapters when we finally get to his POV. Like, for example, Brienne's chapters dig into it and uncover what happened at Duskendale and the role that Barristan played in it. Um, as this idea of knighthood starts to snowball, Barristan also becomes a stick by which Jamie measures his competence as the new lord commander.
0: And so, A Dance of Dragons opens up where we left Barristan, as Danny's trusted counselor who causes her to question her sanity through the lens and scope of the great and mad of her family.
1: And we're gonna leave it off there for now. We're gonna dig in a little more with dance in the next episode, especially because Barristan's chapters are, like, actually in there. And just to keep it kind of cohesive. But before we do that, we're going to talk a little bit about this thing that you may or may not have heard of called the Miranese Knot. And no, it's not just a fancy sex move.
0: Or like a way to tie your tie. Not that either. Not that. The Miranese Knot... (laughs) Barristan's chapters come to us through the way of the Mary's Knot, which is kind of the conflation of chapters that all can join in Marine. With POV characters all on their way toward Daenerys, George had to fit Daenerys, Quentin, Tyrion, Victorian, all in one book, and still didn't have a way to fit his plot where he wanted it. Thus, Grandpa, the point of view chapter, was born.
1: Sir Granddad.
0: Ba- <laughs> Beirsten
1: ends up becoming that other lens into that chaos that's erupting in Mirene with the vacuum in Danny's absence. He's kind of tying together the warfare that's erupting like outside of the walls, the Harpy uprising inside of the walls, and, you know, all that like bright fire to burnt ashes story of Quentin. Because of how long the miranese knot took for george r R. martin to unravel and he wasn't entirely sure how he was going to do it we know that george didn't necessarily intend for barrison to be a point of view chapter barrison was his solution his way to unravel it because like i mean george has got to start cutting back these povs eventually like we got to start tying up some of these loose ends uh But he saw that there was that need in order to maintain the cohesion between all the different character threads. And so here we are, looking at these chapters.
0: And this is something we'll totally tear more into eventually. After we cover more of these marine dance point of views, or even just after Barristan, if you're into reading essays and analysis, I highly recommend you check out Adam Feldman's Miranese Not series because it pulls analysis from a lot of these point of views and how they all add up to progress the Eastern plots.
1: And as something to kind of like tie us up on this episode and set us up for the next one, I wanted to start off with this really interesting piece of trivia that I personally love. People tend to like thinking or asking like, who would win in like a fight between, I don't know, a megalodon and a giant squid. The megalodon. So the title of this entry in So Spake Martin is The Sword of the Morning versus Bearson the Bold. Note, this is from a private correspondence so without the usual header information we used to verify, however, a screenshot of the message can be seen here, and by here I mean there's a link, we'll, we'll provide links and stuff, with the name of the respondee redacted. And the question is, who would win in a fight, Bariston Selmy or Arthur Dane? Qualified with in their best days. And George R. R. Martin says, I think this is really interesting and tells you a lot about how skilled Barriston was. So George says, Dane, if he was armed with Don, which is the pale milk glass colored space sword of House Dane. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. George says if both men had equivalent weaponry, it might be a toss-up. So I think it's interesting to think that Barristan is on par, in his best days, with Arthur Dane,
0: The knight. The biggest, the knight to be.
1: Yeah. The first few books, uh, and as we've talked about in this entire world building episode just really build up that myth of how skilled berson the bold is S- skilled enough to be on par with these legends right to take them on and before we see him he he's larger than life and then as we get to know him he just becomes this sort of man right he's very much on the same trajectory as all of these books in general, deconstructing those bedtime stories and the heroes that we grew up with. Life is not a song. So we get to see that firsthand with Barristan as he himself starts to question his own heroism.
0: We see characters like Jamie broken down from a kingslayer to being human. We see Sansa, the uppity princess, down to a naive little girl. We see the honorable man, Ned, destroyed for doing what he thought was the right thing. We even see the evil queen humanized. Barry is no different. He is the manifestation of this theme.
1: And I do love the theme that Barristan is riffing on. Like, I'm going to be honest. Like, I love, I love the badass old man, like, trope. Me, I'm over
0: here like, what, you like sad old men?
1: No, I like Uncle Iroh, okay? Okay,
0: okay, Uncle Iroh's fine. Come on, Grandpa. I'm gonna be so disappointed though when we deconstruct him. All your heroes fail you.
1: Yeah, that's true. Just like your parents. Um, anyway, thank you for watching. And by watching, I mean listening to Girls Gone Canon. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us on Podbean. You can find us on iTunes. And Google Play and Acast.
0: You can send us a tweet or a direct message at Girls Gone Canon on Twitter. Feel free to give us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. And make sure you leave us a review on iTunes. They are fun to read. Eliana likes them. So it's really...
1: You like them too. Don't act like it's just me. It's
0: just Eliana. It's only Eliana. Chloe's... Being a Sundere right now. I don't like things. (laughs) So, but Eliana, I like Eliana. So if she wants iTunes reviews, (laughs) my podcast wife gets them. Um, (laughs) You guys, this has been fun. I'm Chloe. You can find me on the internet as at Lies and Arbor on Twitter and Tumblr. And
1: this has been Eliana, also known as Glass Table Girl on the Maester Monthly Podcast, and on the A Song of Ice and Fire subreddit. Strong Bell was for life.
0: Grandpa, no. Uh, it doesn't have the same ring. It really doesn't. We'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll figure it out.